What is the difference in being saved and not being saved, being lost? What is the difference in life and death? It's that big, in life and death. What is, what is the difference? What is the difference in living in love, joy, peace, and light, or living in chaos and guilt and shame, living in darkness? What is the difference in your life having a purpose, a a true purpose, or your life being wasted and lived out in vain? What is the difference in a church that is just existing or just going through the motions in a church that is fulfilling its God-given purpose, carrying out its mission, all of it to the glory of God? What is the difference in all of those things? I want to tell you this morning, the difference is the truth. The difference is the truth. You are saved or you are lost based upon the truth and what you do with that truth. There is life or death reigns and the difference is the truth. There is in your life love and joy and peace or there is guilt and shame and chaos and the difference is the truth. The church that just exists or the church that is fulfilling its purpose the difference in those two churches, and you can, you can try to make a list, but really it comes down to the, the difference is their, their handling of the truth. The difference is the truth. I've been preaching now. I was adding it up for, for 12 years. I've been a pastor now for 11 years, and I've decided of all the things that it is, really it is a ministry of the truth. And we want to try to label it, really that's what it is. It is a, a ministry of the truth. I watch people and they are saved and their life changes and it is a radical thing and it's an awesome thing. And then I watch some other people and they spiral down and they crash and they burn and it all came back to the, to the truth. What did they do with the truth? I look around today in 2018 and, and man, if you watch the, the news stations today, it seems like we're living in a, in a hopeless, hopeless time. But in 2018, you watch all of the division and all of the racism and you watch all of the, the things on TV and the politicians and the, the special counsels and then you look at the school sit, shootings and you, and you wonder what is, what is the problem in 2018? I want to tell you the problem is we're in a crisis of the truth. In our homes, in our schools, in our nation, even in our churches, we are in a crisis of the truth. I want to tell you in 2018, we need a revival of the truth. Starting last week, I started to talk a lot about Easter. We're going to talk a lot about Easter the next few weeks. You know, when we're actually going to go out and endeavor to invite folks You know, when we're going to begin to pray fervently for that effort, it is when we believe that there is actually value in the truth. Can't can't we see today that's what Satan is attacking? That's what the world is attacking. That's where the battle is today. It is for the truth. Well, today we come back to the Gospel of Luke. We were in Acts last week. And we come back today, and our message is entitled... An inconvenient, glorious truth. An inconvenient, glorious 
truth. We're in Luke chapter 20. We're actually going to finish the chapter today, verses 41 through 47. Luke chapter 20, today verses 41 through 47. I'm going to ask if you would, if you would stand with me in the honor and the reverence of the reading of God's word. Luke chapter 20, beginning here in verse 41. Then he said to them, how is it that they say the Christ is David's son? For David himself says in the book of Psalms, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I've made your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, David calls him Lord. And how is he his son? And while the people were listening, he said to the disciples, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and love respectful greetings in the marketplaces and chief seats in the synagogues and places of honor at the banquets, who devour widows' houses and for appearances' sake offer long prayers. These will receive greater condemnation. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come today, we're thankful for Jesus Christ. We're thankful for our Savior. We're thankful for our salvation through his work on the cross of Calvary. Lord, we come today, we worship you. We truly praise you. I pray as as your people that have gathered today on this day that your name will be lifted high, that your glory would be made known, that your truth would be revealed. And I pray the result would be that as Christians we would draw closer to you And that those who do not have a relationship with Christ on this day would put their faith in Jesus Christ. We come today, we ask now as we begin to study your word, I I pray once again that it would truly be a supernatural event. That you would take it and you would use it and you would mold us through it, you would shape us through it, that you might refocus us through it, that, that again some hearing the gospel today might be saved through it. I pray that you would use it for your glory. We, we come today, we lay all this at your feet. We tell you we love you, and I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Today in our verses, as we move to the end of the 20th chapter, and as in Luke's gospel, we move steadily closer to the cross of Calvary. In that context, we will see today four points about the truth. Again, watch the progression here. We're walking very close now to the days of Calvary. The events are starting to unfold. And out of that context, we're going to see today four points about the truth. First, we start this morning with the truth about the truth. The truth about the truth. And that is, once again, the truth always stands. The truth always stands. Now, I've said that several times. In fact, a couple times in the previous weeks, the truth always stands. Be sure today, the truth doesn't have to be crafted. The truth doesn't have to be packaged. The truth doesn't have to be positioned or postured. The truth will always stand. Listen to me. Hear me this morning. If we are to stand in the age that we're living in, We have to have, and maybe we need to regain today, a confidence in God's truth. 
Do you understand that? If we're going to stand in this age, we have to have, we have to possess a confidence in God's truth. Somewhere we've been made to feel like this is somehow less than trustworthy. Or maybe it is even more than that, somehow less than believable. Like it's some sort of less than intelligent superstition. Listen to me this morning. When I speak the truth of God's word from the reality of God to the reality of creation to the reality of the resurrection, every word of it, it will stand. Kids, young people, it stands. It it will always stand. You can have confidence. This is the truth. God's word is the truth. In our context, in our verses, They have been trying to trap Jesus. The Pharisees had made an attempt at it. Remember, they tried to divide by trying to set Jesus against the Roman government. They had made a try at it. And then we read that the Sadducees had made a run at it. They were calling into question his his belief, his teachings on the possibility of the resurrection. And after all of these attempts... Jesus has stood his ground. As we read those attempts, it's really kind of interesting. He doesn't have to be nervous. He doesn't have to move and search around. He has stood his ground, and the truth still stands. Listen to verse 26. And they were unable to catch him in a saying in the presence of the people. And being amazed at his answer, the truth stands. They became silent. Listen to verse 40. For they did not have courage to question him any longer. We've been setting snares. We've been setting traps. But we do not have courage to question him any longer about anything. The first thing, the truth about the truth, the truth will always stand. Listen, the truth will always stand. Second today, from our verses in context, we see the source of the truth, the source of the truth. Understand, God's word, for us, the Bible, is the source of truth. Understand that, being clear in that. God's word, the Bible, is the source of truth. Now, now think about our verses. Look at our verses today. They have been asking him questions. They've been trying to set these snares. They have been asking him questions. And now, as we start here in verse 41, he turns the tables and he asks them a question. Verse 41. Then, they've been asking him questions. Then, he said to them, how is it that they say the Christ is David's son? And then the first part of verse 42 For David himself says in the book of Psalms. Now, do not miss this. This is is huge. This is a big deal for us. Do not miss this. Jesus is quoting scripture. Jesus is citing scripture. Notice here, Jesus just named a book of the Bible. He just named a book of the Bible, the book of Psalms. I was looking at that. I thought that was very awesome. I thought that was very impressive. Jesus, as God, the author of Scripture, 
Jesus, as the Savior, the subject of Scripture, is found here, and Jesus is citing Scripture. That's a pretty awesome thing. Just like two weeks ago, they like and they refer to the words of Moses, and so he goes back and he cites and he uses and he teaches from the words of Moses. Well, now he is going to use the words of David, and they are also recorded in Scripture. Verse 42, Jesus says, David himself says, now he's getting ready and he's going to quote Psalm 110, but Jesus says, David himself says in the book, the Greek word for book is biblos. It is literally translated the volume of the written word. The volume of the written word. Folks, listen to me, nail this down today. Friends, take notes from Jesus himself today. Our source of truth today is the word of God, the Bible. I can't say that enough. I can't say that clearly enough. Our source of truth today is the word of God, the Bible. It is not ours or someone's experiences. It is not ours or someone's observations. It is not what the world deems or is willing to accept as truth. It's not what even someone says God has told them or God has shown them. Our source of truth is the word of God, the Bible alone. How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, I wish I could sing, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say than to you he has said, to you who for refuge to Jesus have fled. What is the source of truth for us? It is the Bible. We hold the source of truth. We don't have to go looking. We don't have to wonder. We have the source of truth. It is God's word. Very awesome. So first we see the truth about the truth. Second, we see the source of the truth. And then third, we see the reality of the truth. Now, this is going to be pretty deep. Stay with me on this one. We're going to see the reality of the truth. I'm going to read verses 41 through 44 together. Then he said to them, How is it that they say Christ is David's son? For David himself says in the book of Psalms, the Lord said to my God, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, David calls him Lord, and how is he his son? Now, stay hooked right here. Quoting David, he says, The Lord said to my Lord. Now, in in the Greek here, the word Lord is the word kurios. It means the Lord. It means the master. It means the one exercising absolute ownership rights. It means the one holding authority. It comes from the Greek word kurios, which means supremacy. 
And so Jesus here, quoting David, says, the Lord, Curios, says to my Lord, Curios. That was the normal way to say it. However, if you go back to David in Psalm 110, it says, and now it's in Hebrew, the Lord. But it's a different word here. The Lord, it is now the word Yahweh. That is the proper name for God. The Lord, Yahweh, God, says to my Lord. It is another different word. It is the Hebrew word, Ladonai, Ladonai. It is a word that means master, Lord. Now see this, see what is being revealed here in these names. Follow with me. The Messiah is a descendant of David. The Messiah is a descendant of David. He is a a son of David. David called his descendant, the Messiah, my Lord, Ladonai. David called his descendant, the Messiah, my Lord, Ladonai. David also called God, Yahweh, the Lord. And so, listen, David says here, the Messiah is God. Listen, Jesus has no doubt been revealing himself as the Messiah. In fact, all the way through Luke's gospel, he has been revealing himself as the Messiah. That is very clear. The miracles, they are revealing he is the Messiah. His teaching as one with authority, it is revealing he is the Messiah. His entry into Jerusalem, it is as the Messiah. What he does in the temple, the authority that he claims in the temple, it is revealing he is the Messiah. He has no doubt been revealing himself as the Christ, as the Messiah. And now, on top of that, he has revealed himself as God. See this, Jesus is declaring here, he is the Messiah, and as such, he is God. Understand, Jesus in this crowd has revealed he is God. Jesus is God. Not a creation of God, he's God. Not a man who became a God, he is God. Not one of many gods, he is the creator God. And see this. And for that truth, he is killed. Luke chapter 22 Matthew chapter 26, you read those accounts. When they, when they bring the charges against Jesus Christ, it is that he blasphemed. It is that he claimed to be God. Do you claim to be the Christ, the Son of God? Follow me, listen to me. Here's the reality. It wasn't the lies that got him killed. It wasn't the stories that they had crafted. It wasn't the lies that got him killed. It was the truth. That's the reality of the truth doesn't make any sense, but it's still the reality of the truth. You see, the same truth that is needed is the same truth that's hated. You see, the same truth that delivers, and it's the only hope we have, the same truth that delivers is also the same truth that divides. The same truth that when accepted saves We're saved in the truth of our Savior Jesus, the same truth that when accepted saved, that same truth that when denied, it condemns. And that same truth that points to 
The Christ, the Savior, God himself who's come for sinful man is the exact same truth that results in his death at the hands of sinful man. The reality of the truth that close to the cross is the same reality for today. While the world clamors and cries out in despair in need of the truth, the truth is brought in great cost. See, that doesn't make any sense to me. The world needs the truth. The world is dying for a lack of the truth. Oh, that we would have the truth, and yet the truth is brought at great cost. And for Jesus, it was his own life. It was the truth that resulted in his crucifixion. It was the truth. And so we see the reality of the truth. And that brings us to the last point. First, the truth about the truth. Second, the source of the truth. Third, the reality of the truth. And then this last point, the misappropriation of the truth. The misappropriation of the truth. Going to verse 45. And while, verse 45 is kind of funny. And while all the people were listening, he said to his disciples, now can you, can you picture this? He's there in the temple courtyard. Can you imagine this? I am the Messiah, I am God. Can you imagine this? You could probably hear a pin drop there. All the eyes are there on him. And it says, and while all the people, yes, of course they are. While all the people are now listening, he talks to his disciples. Verse 46 Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and love respectful greetings in the marketplaces and chief seats in the synagogues and places of honor at banquets. The scribes, their job was to copy and meticulously copy the Old Testament scriptures. There was not a printing press. There was no form of mass printing. And so their job was the only way to reproduce it. They were to meticulously copy the Old Testament scriptures. These scribes, they would sit and they would copy it word for word. Exactly, they would copy it. Now, over time, because they handled it so much, they were then deemed as experts in God's word. Now that just makes sense. If you're a mechanic and you handle cars all the time and, and repairs all the time, you become an expert in that. Well, handling the word of God, they were now deemed as experts in it. And then over time, they were asked to interpret it. Well, can you tell me what this means? They were, they were asked to explain it. Well, you are an expert in it. Can you then explain it? And by this time, not only did the scribes copy it, but now at this point in history, they were most likely the primary teachers of it. And so if you wanted to know something about the word, the Old Testament scriptures, you went to one of these scribes and they had become not only experts in it, not only those that had handled it greatly, they were now the primary teachers of the scriptures. They were pros at the word of God. And the Bible says that they like to walk around 
in their long robes. Now, I want you to see the picture here. They, they liked the success of it. They liked the success of it. They're an expert in it. They're the ones that if you, if you need an answer, you need to search them out. And so they like to walk around in their long robes. They like the success of it. It says they love the respectful greetings in the marketplace. People would come up and say, oh, teacher, oh, scribe. They like the notoriety from it. They like the position from it. They love the best seats at the synagogue. Oh, here, sit with me. Oh, move over here to, to the head table. Hey, come and join me and my family in the, the best seats at the banquet. They loved the acclaim of it. They were religious experts and they, they loved the position that went with it. Gets even worse, verse 47. Who devour widows' houses? And for appearance's sake, offer long prayers. These will receive greater condemnation. From the words of Jesus, the mouth of Jesus, these will receive greater condemnation. To devour widows' houses means that these men in their long robe, these men in all their notoriety, they were so wicked, they were so self-serving, they were so self-focused that they prayed on the helpless. They profited from the ones that they should have been serving. They abused those ones who they should have been helping. And then as wicked as they were, they would come and they would pray these long, impressive, fraudulent prayers. And so Jesus says here, watch out for them, beware of them. Then Jesus says, for they will receive greater condemnation. It means this today, listen, hear this. Holding the truth doesn't mean you're changed by the truth. My lands, if there was anybody that should have been looking for the Messiah, if there's anybody that should have, have seen that this was him and Jesus. But you know what? Holding the truth doesn't mean you're changed by the truth. Trading and dealing in the truth doesn't, doesn't mean that you're a faithful steward, a, a shepherd of the truth. That's a sacred thing. But for those who use it for self-gain, Jesus knows who they are and Jesus promises himself their penalty is great. Can you imagine that? I see it today. Can you imagine that? The truth that he dies for the truth that he goes and he dies for and he comes to, to proclaim it, the truth that he, that he presents as the risen Savior, the truth that he sends these good shepherds to proclaim from then on, the truth that, that saves lives, the truth that, that changes eternity, these, tr these truths, they take them and they profit for them. They take them and they exalt themselves through them. And Jesus says, and you will pay a greater condemnation. Jesus knows. Jesus sees. Let me tell you what greater condemnation, this is talking about the same as the lost man and greater than that. Evidently there must be layers of punishment in hell and it sounds like one of the worst ones are, are saved for those who would profit themselves on the truth that the world needed. And a greater condemnation will they incur. Why does it matter? Let me, just, let me just bring it down. Why, 
Why does it matter? Why preach it from this pulpit? Why teach it in our classrooms? Why does it matter? Why embrace it as a church? Why does it matter? Listen to me, it matters because the truth is still the answer. It matters because the truth is still good news. It matters because the truth, the gospel still saves. It matters because the truth is Jesus. That's why it matters. And not only does it stand, today it is offered to you. Friends, the truth of all this is this. Outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ, you're going to perish. Outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ, you're in your sins, even now guilty, condemned before a holy God. But the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is this. He died for you. He died in your place. He offers you grace today. And the truth still stands, yes, but the truth still saves, and today it is offered to you. If you do not have a relationship today with Jesus Christ, it is offered to you today. The truth still saves. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come today, we're thankful for you, thankful for the truth that you have preserved and in, in, in gracious kindness given to us that we're not like a bunch of people trying to make up a way of salvation, not trying to live some world's concept of salvation, that we know how to be saved, we know the problem, we know who God is, we know our Savior, Jesus, because of the truth of God's word. I pray, first off, that we would be a people who would devour and study and know and live upon your word. I pray that we will be a church so shaped by your word that, that at every turn from what we teach to what we sing to how we act is shaped by the truth of God's word. That our witness is driven and grounded and founded in the truth of the word of God. And then I pray for some in this room today that do not know Jesus, that today they would hear and they would receive the truth, the way, the life, Jesus. Lord, we praise you, we worship you, we thank you. I pray now as we conclude this service that, that you have spoken, that you continue to speak. I pray for those who are making decisions that you're speaking even now. And I pray that decisions are made in this hour. Lord, for your glory, for your name's sake. We love you, we praise you, we thank you, and we pray in Jesus' name, amen.